Hi, I'm Joseph, apparently. <laughs> and I'm TJ. What is happening here? And this is Fi High. We get all twisted around. Yeah, Somebody's our, messing around with our Google Doc outline. We didn't do the Google Doc outline correctly, and so we're just following the script. <laughs> this is a scripted show, in case you didn't know. No, it's not, actually. It's part of it is. <laughs> Joe, should we just talk about something else? <laughs> yeah, for real, though. How are you doing, sir? It's been two weeks. Uh, it's I've been doing well. Uh, things are fine. Things are good. Things Glad are great. Yeah. Got some wallets I want to talk about. Yeah, well, and a lot's happened in the techosphere. In the, can we call it, call it the techosphere? Has it? Has uh, in the it really? last couple of weeks, yeah. Well, yeah there's rumors. Joe? There's been more, uh, what do you call, acquisitions. Yeah. You've been trying on a case on your iPhone. I've been taking mine off. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. How does this happen? If the wind uh, switches to the east or to yeah. the west, you know, you put the case on and I take the case off and vice versa. Well, we have more. Yeah. To, I have more to say about that, but that's we're not to that point in the show yet. So yeah, you want to yeah, tell yeah. me what's happened with Pocket Casts? Yeah, so it's interesting because we were highlighting our interest and concern that uh, this company called Automatic had went and bought the Day One journaling app just a few mm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And that was intriguing because Day One is the most reputable journaling apps on all of the Apple devices. It's my favorite. It has had high acclaim since basically its inception. And I've used it off and on again quite regularly Concerned that another company like Automatic that owns WordPress, which is not my favorite blogging platform ever, would now own one of my favorite journaling apps, my favorite journaling app, and one of my favorite all-time favorite apps, period. Then uh, they went and did the somewhat unexpected. They now own my favorite podcast player app, which is also, again, a cross-platform Apple-centric sort of app, but also is available on Android, I'm assuming, from a web browser, so you could use it on a PC. Uh, that's it is available on a, in a web browser, yes. And I can confirm that the Pocket Cast app is still the best podcast app on Android. I think it's one of the finest developed apps for podcasting, po- podcast players, period, from the mm. beginning to the day, you know, today. Like the Mac app, if you have the membership subscription and you're using the Mac app even, that is pretty great. Does doesn't have all the exact same features like it doesn't have the the feature where it trims out some of the pausing and, and silences in a podcast it doesn't have the feature where it'll kind of automatically level out the audio voices so that it's all the same uh, but it does have everything else and it's pretty nice to have that on the mac when i don't want to pop on my earbuds and listen to it on my ipad right iPhone. and unless they've changed it the mac app for pocket casts is just the web interface wrapped in an, uh, an app wrapper okay that makes sense and yeah, that's that, why yeah and, and so they're using web technologies and they don't have access to some of the things that you have like the the voice leveling and the the smart speed and all that stuff so uh what do you feel about this i I feel like it's kind of intriguing that they got day one and pocket cast so close to each other but then there's some illusions in the announcement from pocket casts that the pandemic you know period has been really hard on a lot of these developers and this decision was born out of necessity they previously had been uh, owned by another business and then went independent again and then now they're owned by another business Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to make of automatic 
scooping up these seemingly unrelated things like pocket casts. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, disclosure, I guess. I don't know. I don't have as much of a horse in the race with pocket casts anymore as I used to. I have switched back over, uh, to Marco Arment's app, um, uh, overcast. Um, and I have done that mostly. I, I was fine with pocket casts on the phone and the web interface. Um, but I've done, I've done, um, pocket uh, overcast for two reasons one is the upload experience and the uploading your own media and having it in your um po- podcast player is a much better experience with marco's app and then secondly the watch app is far better for overcast so interesting yeah so i switched over to that but as far as as automatic acquiring pocket cast it it, it, it once again a head scratcher like what does this have to do with wordpress and maybe i mean you know <laughs> Automatic is not WordPress. They named their company, you know, Matt named his company Automatic and not WordPress. So maybe he's just trying to branch the company out. But right now, at least the way we conceive of Automatic as the WordPress company, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, how do you, what, what, what does Pocket Cast have to do with WordPress? And, and you also, there's questions like, will Pocket Cast, cause I want, you know, good competition in the podcast player space and Apple certainly isn't providing it. And, you know, Marco makes a good app and these folks at Pocket Cast make a good app. And there's a few other good apps, but, I, I want there to continue to be good podcast apps that are competing with one another. So, and, and obviously we have a podcast. We have a vest, vested interest there. Do we? Um, oh. I, yeah. I, I don't know what to make of automatic doing this. What do you, what do you think? I, I'm fascinated, but it's sort of like, you know, there, maybe there's no connection, but they are just invested in the developer community, the connections they can bridge, maybe gather some of the talent, uh, rearrange those people. Also, just kind of like what's good for this business is also going to be a back-scratching good thing for our kind of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also improves the public perception of a company like Automatic if they are helping out the needy few developer companies that really are impressive that need to survive. You know, we don't want companies like day one going by the wayside because they couldn't make it. We don't want pocket cast to disappear if they were gone and it it wasn't around to compete with overcast. I, I would be really disappointed because I think that they're great competitors and it's interesting to see how, Pocketcast does everything so differently from Overcast. I love having Overcast as one option and a Pocketcast on the other. And so I think that maybe some of this could be that they don't necessarily have an obvious way to take advantage of a company like Pocketcasts today. But the way things are going, people are blogging less, people are doing more video channel content and podcasting content. And maybe they're looking at the numbers for across the board on WordPress and they just say, look at this. Like WordPress is used for a lot of websites where you go to do your thing for marketing purposes. You see some splash pages and there's an integrated store. But people aren't really blog posting so much and reading content like that anymore. There's a lot of clickbait stuff where people hop from page to page to page to improve the click-throughs and stuff like that for companies that are trying to you know woo you into a rabbit hole but aside from that where the real substance is happening is over here on a well look at this it's a wordpress site where people are sharing podcasts and so maybe what they're seeing is that as time goes by the future is looking brighter and brighter for podcasts and they want to 
get familiar and own a little bit more of that piece of the pie of the internet. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I... Um Ah, boy. I, you know, WordPress, uh, there's, there's something to that, I think, where the, the blog is declining. People don't blog anymore. But that said, WordPress kind of solved that issue by morphing into a more general purpose CMS. I, I personally don't think they did that transition very well. I don't think WordPress is a good platform for anything but a blog. And personally, I wouldn't use it for a blog either, but, but it's certainly viable for that. It, but, but it is used to power so many sites now, sites that aren't just blogs, sites that, you know, again, would be better served with a different CMS, but WordPress has become the dominant thing. But perhaps WordPress knows or automatic knows WordPress really was conceived of as a blogging platform. And despite all attempts to modernize that code base, it's really a creaky old code base. And they're thinking of branching out into other places. And they have data that shows where the best places to be are because of the nature of what WordPress is. That, that's a very interesting observation. So what do you think they would actually do publicly? I can't picture anything. I can't see them changing Pocket Casts. I could see them funding something exciting if Pocket Casts wanted to reinvent themselves somehow. Yeah, I didn't read the article all, all the way through, but um, did, did, did the Pocket Cast team say they're going to maintain their independence or anything like that? They're going to continue to work on the app? What, what, did, what all did they say in that article? Mainly, it sounds like it is helping them to stay in business, and they really want mm. to continue to do their pocket cast thing. And they appreciate automatic, and automatic appreciates them. It doesn't sound like it really changes much in the moment. We will explore building deep integrations with WordPress.com and pocket casts, making it easier to distribute and listen to podcasts. I'm not sure what that means, because... As it stands now, podcasting is what it is. It is mm-hmm. a way to broadcast, you know, uh, audio. Right. And the way it does that, you and I know uh, because we're tech nerds, and and I'm I've implemented you know podcasting systems like NightOwl.fm that podcasts are powered by RSS, and they point to. Uh, you know, audio files, and they have metadata like show notes in that RSS feed. And I don't understand how you in- integrate WordPress.com with one one single small market share comparatively to Apple, for instance, uh, podcast player. I, like I don't understand how that what that means, or maybe that's just the the words they're putting around it, and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I could understand if Pocket Casts wanted to make some sort of embed player, and it was more readily available in WordPress and to the developers of WordPress made sure that it was well supported so that it was easier to share and post podcasts using a, a almost like a premium player for podcasts, but it's Pocket Casts branded, I, that, hypothetically speaking. Yeah, I don't understand. It doesn't seem like it's a, a huge venture. It seems like it would be just a nice to have. Yeah. So shall we talk about the machines used to produce podcasts, potentially? Yes, please. Such as, what <laughs> I'm are you thinking? I'm the king of transitions, Joe. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there <clears throat> is a rumored 2022 Mac Pro that will is rumored to use Intel's Ice Lake Xeon W3300 chips. I don't know a lot about Intel's chipset families, especially on the professional side. I, I know a little I bit more the about that. Intel their... went out of business since <laughs> the M1 was released. What happened? They're Intel back? is going to be fine. Uh, oh, okay. But but it's, it's fascinating that Apple is going to, uh, rumored to, release a new computer that has a different chipset than a computer they're currently 
currently selling has. You you would think any updates to Max in from now forward would be with the uh, w- with Apple's silicon you know chipsets, and it, it doesn't. It's weird. It's a weird rumor to me. That said, I can justify it in a number of ways. Um, the the primary way that I'm thinking is that Apple is developing, as this article indicates, and and there's lots of smokes you know around this fire of this rumor. So where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, that Apple is developing a Apple Silicon Mac Pro or Mac Pro ish that is a smaller and less configurable, less you know has less expansion available. Um, but would be very powerful. And, and in the meantime, to ease the transition, they're going to release the next generation of Intel in their current um, Mac Pro. They want to get a little more mileage out of that, and they want to keep people happy. And in addition, people in the professional workspa- you know, workspace tend to need their systems to remain on the same architecture for longer. Uh, it, but it doesn't seem very Apple-like, does it? It's It's a strange rumor, and it's one that I don't fully know what to think here and and it's certainly it's 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 odd what do you think joe the it seems like it's maybe just it comes down to tim cook's approach to the business what do they say they he usually opera uh, he streamlines he's an, an efficiency minded executive he wants to improve operations and maybe it's just an issue of Given the number of chips that we can produce, we cannot produce the kind of chip and the quantities we want for uh, another generation of the Mac Pro. Meanwhile, Intel is cutting us a deal and they are going to have their own manufactured and we need to use our chips for something more timely like the next generation uh, 27-inch iMac with you know various options. Here's a thought, and I, I don't think I believe this, but it's a thought, mm-hmm. um, that... Apple is focused on making very energy-efficient chips, but not necessarily very powerful chips. Now, the M1 is powerful enough, but uh, to be honest, my MacBook Air is fine. It's not quite as powerful as my, you know, what, three, four-year-old, four-year-old, my four-year-old custom-built Intel computer. It's, It's not quite as fast as that, but it's fine. Um, and, uh, it, and it's hard to compare, right? Because apples and oranges, d- depending on what you're doing is my MacBook air is faster at some things, but the overall census is not quite as fast, but Apple is, Apple is focused on making energy efficient chips. They've done that with the iPhone. They've done it with the iPad. And now they're bringing that to the MacBook air and the lowest end MacBook pro with the M one chip. Whereas Intel, they were always focused on power, raw power. And in more recent years, they've tried and mostly, I would say, failed to make more energy-efficient chips. But energy efficiency is not the point of the Mac Pro. And so do you see a world – I don't think I do – but do you see a world where where Intel went – crawling to apple and begged them to stay and apple said you know what we'll let you handle the high-end chips for us in our mac pro and they continue <laughs> in that capacity indefinitely do you, do you see a world in which that would happen yeah i mean you can't say no to apple is what some of the manufacturers have said <laughs> already mm. and intel it's it's also good for public image right not to mention the money and they've already had this well-established business relationship before. So it's not like they're starting from scratch. If you just say, well, we have these new chips available, we might as well use them. It, a lot of the, you know, the, the, the steps it takes to get the wheels turning is already in place. 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think that this is what's happening. I, I think that eventually all Apple computers that are new that are being sold will run Apple Silicon. And I don't I think that we will reach a point where Apple sells no Intel Max. But but it is a thought. Like maybe mm-hmm. Apple Apple would let and I'm trying to think if this contradicts anything that, that's already been said about the transition to Apple Silicon. I don't remember for sure. It feels like it might, mm-hmm. but like Apple could change their mind and they could just say, Well, you know, we'll let we'll continue to let Intel handle our very high end, and that's that's possible. I, I don't think that'll happen. Apple is not a half end kind of company. I think that they, and I also th- think they don't like what that would signal about Apple Silicon, which is that they're not capable of making the chips to power the Mac Pro. Uh, I true. think what's what's more likely uh, is that um, you know they want to get a little more mileage out of the current uh, case design of the Mac Pro, which is really only had, which has had so far just one generation of Intel chip in it. And they did the math, they looked at it, and it was really easy to put the next generation of chip in the same you know exact case. Uh, and they could probably... call it the Mac Pro SE. <laughs> <laughs> they might do something like that. Um, and so I think that's that, that they're probably just getting another generation, at least in this um, this Mac Pro design. And that we will probably even perhaps see the next generation of Mac Pro with Apple Silicon that will probably be a smaller form factor, as, as has been rumored, with a little less expansion. Um, you know, but, but it'll be the next generation of Mac pro and we'll see it alongside this Mac pro. And that'll be the, that'll be the transition to phase out the Intel Mac pros. That's, that's my thinking right now, but it did strike me as a little odd that I, I thought that we would not see any more new Intel Macs launched, even spec updates to Mm. existing stuff. And this looks to be like a, a big spec update on the CPU side to the existing Mac pro. I don't know if this factors into this sort of sale, but the Apple silicone silicon chips are actually considered to be very marketable to consumers. Mm-hmm. They're very attractive to the Apple customer base. They're alluring to a lot of the newer Mac users, people mm-hmm. making a switch from PC to Mac. But just because the Mac Pro doesn't have nearly as many sales as their other Macs, like the MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air, and probably even the iMac, because it, there's a much smaller market for it, they're going to be able to boast and emphasize the performance, the power to the professional buyer who's going to be interested in a Mac Pro. And they're thinking, well, we can definitely see that the creative professional or the like is not going to be concerned so much with whether or not he has an Apple processor. He's going to be thinking about that performance and that is attractive. And it, it, because it's not about alluring them with marketing that this is a Apple Silicon chip that, you know, as long as they're happy with it, then it's probably more enticing than the chips in the current generation Mac pros. Remember when we said before we pressed record that we didn't have much to say on the Mac pro. Yeah, I know. How did that happen? (laughs) You want to talk about Neva? Yeah, so Neva is an interesting idea. I came across there's this channel on YouTube I like to watch. It's called Daily Tech, and it's got Chris. It's actually Chris's channel on Daily Tech. So Chris talks about new iPad apps that he really loves, things that we should check out, and one that he recently talked about for the iPad really could just be used across any of your tech. It's called Neva, and it's an alternative to Google. 
And the sales pitch is that Neva was created by ex-Google execs. And Neva is uh, a private ad-free search experience with only real search results. You pay $5 a month for this sort of uh, Neva account, and then you're able to do all of your web searches ads-free. And uh, they emphasize privacy. They, you know, they, they point out that as much as sometimes 40% of the search results on Google are actually ads, and 100% of the search results on Neva are not ads, they've been getting good acclaim. Uh, they have... Um, the means to block all of these trackers. And they're, so they're protecting more of your privacy necessarily than Google would you know, do. And and so it's an interesting idea. If you go to Neva and if you were using the search, it feels like you performed a search like you would on Google, but it's Neva. And I was wondering what you think about this, TJ. Would you ever be interested in using an alternative to Google? And what would it take for you to make that kind of change? Um, I wouldn't say I'd ever not be interested, like, but I'm, I also know that Google is really good at search. Like that is their bread and butter. That is what they do. Google never fails me. Other search engines do. And, um, I'm happy to let Google continue to be, do what they're good at. I think the problem with Google is they do a lot of things they're not good at and they do some things they're decent at and they don't have a lot of focus. And, and I've enjoyed some of Google's products, even though I feel like they lack focus. And I, I don't know what I would do without Gmail, for instance. It is without question the best email service available right now. Um, even though I feel like it distracts from, in some ways, from Google's primary core competency, which is search. That said, they've leveraged their ability to do search to have the best search in email ever. Like, I really love the Spark app, but if I need to find an email and it's not coming up in Spark's woefully bad search, I will go to the web interface and search my Gmail there and get much better results. So, Google is really good, really, really good at search. And there just isn't anybody as good at search as Google is. Yeah. Now, that, and, and that's why I continue to use Google. That said, I do find it annoying how over the years, um, and, and it's not super annoying, like you can still get past the ads pretty quickly, but the top two or three results now are always ads. Because that's the way Google makes money, is by ads. Yeah. And um, I do miss the cleaner, uncluttered interface that Google used to have. Um, but Google is still doing its job, and it's still doing its job for me better than anybody else. So I still continue to use Google for search. And I actually like, in the realm of search, that Google knows me, knows who I am, and knows what's probably most relevant to what I'm searching for because they've built a profile for me. That can be a little creepy when it creeps into other areas, but as far as search goes, it's great. I would appreciate it if a company like Google would consider giving you this alternative where hmm. you could pay to remove the ads. I know it's kind of crazy, but you know, with the user base like they have, it'd be an intriguing... See, see that kind of change back in the day back in the day dan benjamin talked about this uh and i think other podcasters have successfully implemented this model so i don't think he was quite correct but i think it applies to google more than it does to podcasts he talked about how, how it was difficult to, to talk about implementing member driven uh things things that members pay for and also continue the ads model because the ads model is super lucrative and Direct pay from users is not as lucrative. And in the meantime, what you're doing is you're cutting out the appeal of 
uh, ad buyers to buy ad spots because now they have less of an audience to reach, and so they're not as interested. So it's a very difficult proposition Mm -hmm. to say to Google, please sell us – your content and we that way we don't have to see ads and then in the meantime their ad appeal is going down because the reason you buy google ads they're super expensive but the reason you buy them is because you know they will reach anybody and when google starts taking the user's money uh then all of a sudden you have competing interests um what is the what is I, i'm gonna butcher the 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 kind of the the motto but like if you are not the paying customer you are the product it's mm-hmm. something like that and that's the case with google i know that i'm the product when it comes to google and i'm fine with it as far as search and email goes um but you if they suddenly make you a paying customer but you're also a product there's competing interests and it's a very difficult lever to pull it is worth noting that they are experimenting with this and have been for, I don't know if they would really call it an experiment at this point, over at YouTube so that you can pay to remove the ads there plus get some hmm. other bonus content and features to the point. YouTube app. I, but it I, doesn't I, seem like that has convinced them to say, oh, look at the results from doing this at YouTube. We ought to carry this over to other Google products. No, and, and I'll tell you this too, though. The way they're driving this, I know because I, I've I, you know, I consume YouTube from time to time. On depending on my mood, I may consume a lot of it as I'm, you know, and especially if I'm doing work that is, I can watch more YouTube or, you know, stream some comedy, you know, or something. I tend that's what I tend to look up on YouTube is is stand up comedy uh, while I'm working. And uh, the frustrating, the frustrating experience about YouTube is they're getting the ads are just getting so prolific and in your face, and they interrupt in the middle of yeah, sentences and words. Really and they really, and, and I think they're doing it on purpose. I think it is they're making it such an invasive process that they want you to subscribe. They're really pushing this idea that you should subscribe and get rid of ads. It's weird because it actually makes me hate both YouTube and the ad advertisers, and it's not really the advertisers' fault, <laughs> yes. not as much. But it makes me That's hate exactly the whole thing. How I feel. And what they're really trying to do is get you to pay. And I've been so close so many times just clicking the button and say, okay, I'll subscribe just to get rid of this annoying. I'll pay you five bucks a month or whatever it is. Just I don't want it anymore. But I don't because it annoys me to think that I have to pay. After so many, and I know that I'm being a hypocrite because I believe you should pay people for their work, and I believe you should pay people for the good things that they do. I, I don't know. I just find it really frustrating. So I, I feel like this experiment is failing. If if I am the if I'm the audience and anybody and I and if I'm a stand in for the way everybody else feels about it, I don't know that I am. I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Neva is interesting, but mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to check it out. <laughs> I'm going to keep an eye on it. I don't intend to use it anytime soon. That mm-hmm. uh, that that monthly fee is actually just uh, you know that you get to try it for 30 days and then you have to pay fifty dollars or sorry five dollars a month. I I'm not crazy about getting into it because I think that search is so innocuous uh, not innocuous that. When you're doing it, you're not going to feel like you're getting your money's worth. And then when you look back on those 30 days, you're going to say, that seems like I did nothing and just used up $5. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like mm-hmm. You're not going to see where your money went. I don't know. I, I strategically use Google well enough nowadays that the ads don't really bother me. And I'm using the Brave browser, so it's also helping me with privacy. I'm kind of content with the current situation, but I have used DuckDuckGo an awful lot over the years, and I do appreciate that there are more good alternatives, so I hope that Neva stays in the game and that they 
continue to grow and improve and see where it goes. All right. So, um, Joe, let's talk about two things, delight on a grand scale and music for Macintosh, shall we? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd consider music on a Mac as a delight on a grand scale. Great. And these are related because they're uh-huh. by the same person, app maker. Uh, one is just the video of the app. I'd, I hope he releases it at some point, but we shall see. So, But this is these are your topics, so tell, tell me about this. So I happened to cross this. I don't remember if it was via Sean Blanc on Twitter or someone like that. And it was just showing this concept of kind of taking the best things of the iTunes app on the Mac and bringing them back by basically recreating that sort of app for Apple Music as it is today. And this is the music for Macintosh demo that you're talking about specifically. Yeah, so music today on the Mac doesn't feel very much like iTunes used to. There's specific layouts, order, uh, functionality that just worked so, so well. Back in a time when Steve Jobs, I think, had a lot of his hands on the design of the app. Mm -hmm. And in more recent years, we've seen a lot more influence from, say, what was it, the iOS 7 generation when Johnny Ive went through and stripped away all the Chrome and just made the thing nice and flat. And this vision of a alternative is letting you get Apple Music in more of the iTunes style, but it's not officially released yet. And I need to turn it over to you because I haven't used the the other one, the the music the widget. widget. Yeah. So um, the, the the article here that talks about delight on a grand scale. One of the things they're talking about is uh, Mario Guzman's uh, his widget that replicates the dashboard widget for music um, or for at the time iTunes. And now this is a, this is a standalone app. There is no dashboard anymore. So it just, it's an app. Uh, You can make it float. And that's what I've done. So you go to music widget preferences and you get this uh, pinstriped (laughs) preferences panel, which is fun. Um, You don't see the preferences that much. So it's not super annoying. I I remember being annoyed by the pinstripes by the time they finally went away. But um, (laughs) you can collect, you can check keep above other windows or what I like to call floating. And so then uh, it kind of stays over top of your other windows and acts like just a, a widget that floats around. And the delightful thing about this is I believe it takes kind of the, it's design cues from, I almost want to call this peak Apple design. It's yeah. after it is after the super duper pinstriped, you know, brushed metal era. All that's gone, and then this just has a little bit of a three. It's not much, but a little bit of a three D feel where the it's it's almost like it's a round pill kind of a thing, and it's delightful. It really is delightful and playful, and it just reminds me of how much we've lost in this rush to flatten out our design. and And I I enjoyed flat design for a little while but i think like like the original design of uh mac os 10 and all of the things in that era it was too much of a knee-jerk reaction Mm -hmm. um it was too skeuomorphic it was too much too much too much too much like it's just let's put pinstripes everywhere and what else can we do to dress this up oh let's brush some metal and and let's you know let's really make these things gaudy and apple kind of smoothed the rough edges of that over time they removed the brush metal they removed the pinstripes and what you were left with was nice smooth design but it didn't feel super flat and at the times it was still a little heavy Heavy, and I, I would support making the design less the designs in general less heavy. But then we had this rush 
over to the super flat design. iOS 7 started that, and then you started stripping away the heaviness from macOS. And I feel like we're in a pretty good place with Big Sur, but there are a couple of things that annoy me about Big Sur that this just reminds me, let's come back a little bit more in this direction. And the same thing is true of this music app uh, that is still in demo. It's a it's a video demo. It's not been released yet. I'm hoping he'll release it. One thing I don't see in this any of this demo or any of the screenshots is um, Column Browser. That is an absolute deal breaker for me if it doesn't exist. But mm. otherwise, it is a recreation of Apple Music at, again, what I would call the pinnacle of Apple, well, of iTunes at the time, uh, now Apple Music, iTunes Design. It doesn't have any of the cruft that, that the music app has now, but it's just playlists and your library. And it's it's delightful. It just looks yeah. delightful. It, it, it looks like it's taken all the cruft that Apple has added over the years to the music to support their services business, and it's just removed it. So now what you're left with is your music library. And assuming it works with Apple Music, which I hope it does because I am a subscriber and I do appreciate the service as far as that goes – uh, I but I want this app. I really want it, Joe. Yeah. Because I get along okay with music, but I I touch maybe two or three of the features of the of the five hundred that Apple Music has. <laughs> yeah. You don't watch music videos and no. prefer it in that flat design from Johnny Ives' world. No, and I always I'll tell you what too. Music really loves to push these like you know five inch tall rows of your music, and like I always go down to the to the just the list. I I don't want it to be. And like when you go to a playlist, you've got this big half of the window is taken up in this huge unused area that has the playlist name, and then a lot of white space, and then off to the left the al- the, the like the playlist like album covers. And I just don't want any of that. I don't want it. The other thing, too, like you were saying about that sweet interface is that it doesn't have a heavy-handed amount of texture, but just enough that you really want to fiddle with it in your hands. Mm-hmm. You want to feel that in your hands. Like you do the, you know, we can say what we want against the the user experience of a lot of the Apple TV remotes over the years. But every single one of them just to look at has just enough of a, an interesting look about them that is compelling to fiddle with. You know, it, it is yeah. fun to to handle and to click and click and swipe and, you know, roll your fingers around and roll the remote around in your hand. And that's what this kind of design looks like. And, and that's actually, it's like, this was the era when Apple software looked like Apple hardware. Yes. And it's gotten away from that. Now mm-hmm. now it's like, what are you even doing? They, they don't necessarily feel wed to each other. Yeah. What I would like to see at this point is I, I think there's a lot of good design ideas in modern Apple design. Um, and there's there, a lot of them are poorly executed. Um, there's there's some problems. And what I would like to see is, to, especially I'm thinking of Big Sur because it's the one that's right in front of me. I'm podcasting from it. But, but this applies to iOS as well, is start where we are now and just start adding some personality back into the designs and, and start adding a little bit of, you know, things back into the design that make it fun. Uh, just looking at this music widget right in front of me right now, I'm just like, this is just a fun design. It's really fun. Yeah. It and it's not overbearing. It's not like overly textured. It just has a a fun design. And I want to see more of that from Apple software. And I, I, you know, Apple software just isn't in the best of of places right now. Um, all not. And I say that I don't know. I I, I say that carefully because there are things about Apple software right now that I like, and there are just things that are just not so good. Yeah, it, it's not terrible. It's just not our favorite. Not, well, our, not their best moment. 
It's like Apple has decided that fun is not something they necessarily want anymore in their designs. It's the um, what's the word I'm looking for, Joe? Not necessarily fun, but um, it's a word. What's that? Whimsy. Whimsy. Thank you. I as a new, it was a word that we use all the time. There, there's not as much whimsy. And in addition, um, Apple has been adding more and more things to their software, and they they seem to feel like the way you clean all that up is you throw it in a junk drawer. And you, you you see that with the new Safari where they've tried to move all the things out of the toolbar toolbar and into the junk drawer. And I just uh, and, and I, you got to figure I, out which are, junk drawer it's in. Yeah, these are bad instincts from Apple. The drawers and buttons and, and hiding things behind um, behind other things behind these junk drawers are necessary, I think, on iOS on the phones because there's not a lot of room. But they seem to want to bring those design sensibilities to both iPad and Mac OS, and these are bad instincts. You do it because you have to on the phone and you try to get away from it as much as possible but as the space expands the affordances should also expand and and apple seems to think that oh no actually what we want to do is we want our affordances to go away everywhere and what you're left with is less usable software more modal software and that's not a good thing yeah it's just uh because you brought it up i have to ask doesn't it drive you nuts what safari looks like on the beta for monterey right now yeah so i uh they were a few days after they released that beta of monterey i'm not running monterey so i couldn't i couldn't check it out but then they finally released the updated safari technology preview which i downloaded on uh big sur and i i threw up yeah i cleaned myself up and i uh closed it and i never installed i never opened it again because the, the biggest problem right now, you know, I'm going to open it right now just so I can speak Safari. I ran kicking and screaming back to Brave. It, because, yeah. So what they did is they changed it back in in the functional ways to the current version of Safari, but they didn't change the design. And so what you have for tabs now are pill buttons. <laughs> and you can't no tell sense. you can't tell which quote tab is active because these difference you you actually can if you look really hard but the difference in shading is so subtle that you can't tell <laughs> and i could not i literally i would be staring at these tabs i was trying to use safari technology preview just to see what it was like to use it and i'd be staring at the tabs and I'd go i can't tell which of these tabs is connected to my current content i literally can't yeah. tell and there's a way to solve all this it's called let tabs be tabs <laughs> don't make yes. them buttons so Firefox is going in the same direction, and I, I hate it, but at least you can tell which one is active. But the, this, the problems here completely go away if tabs are tabs, if tabs are connected to the content that they're serving. Mm. And I would even say – I think I, I'll try to put this in the show notes. Let me make a note right now. Um, Safari for beta screenshot. I want to put that in the show notes because oh, yeah. um, that was the pinnacle of Safari design. They never released it to the public. <laughs> it was always a beta. And then they chickened out, and then they went back to the way Safari was. In my opinion, it was the best tab design Safari has ever had. Me too, it put, I agree. It put the tabs on the top, like most browsers do now, at the very top, so that any content below it was connected to the tab. Right now, you have the address bar, and then below it, you have tabs. But the address bar content changes depending on which tab is active. So it makes more sense to have your tabs at the very top, because they're connected to all the content underneath it. <sighs> I, I just don't understand what Apple's thinking here. There's think, so many yeah. ways they can do this right, and they're failing. 
I think that if you when you do look at that screenshot of Safari four beta, I think the reason that they didn't ultimately go with it was because aside from getting used to the idea of the tabs on top, it was back in an era when it felt like they were just doing it to kind of go with the crowd and the crowd was being steered by Google Chrome and it didn't feel right for Apple to imitate that, Google Chrome. I felt like the timeline was the other way around. I didn't think that Chrome was out yet. Safari four beta. Was it? I seem to remember um, that there was some influential tabs on top browser back at the time because we were using Safari and I remember seeing tabs on top elsewhere. And so when they so showed this off in the beta, I was really excited. But the the user experience problem, I think, for anyone who got over the the fact that it looked different was that there were a lot of people who just said, you know, like, don't mess with it if it works. But the reason that it worked for a lot of the those people who were naysayers against the beta version of tabs on top was that the tabs were very worked completely flush at the very top of the window. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to click and drag around your window to various places, if you clicked anywhere at the top, there wasn't anywhere to click uh, except <laughs> on a tab if you had the whole window chopped full of tabs. Yeah, well... Apple doesn't seem to care about those things now. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's confusing. So, yeah. So um, Safari 4 Beta was initially released on June 11, 2008. Chrome did not come out until September of 2008. So that's almost three months. September 2nd of 2008. That's almost three months. Now, having something. said that, I think Chrome, Chrome may have been in beta when Safari 4 Beta came out. I would have to look, research a little bit deeper to see when the betas of Chrome were coming out, you know, for people to preview what Chrome was yeah. going to be like. Because I know um, I was using the Google Chrome beta at the time. Okay, so that may very well be. I, I lose track of that history. I was very excited about Chrome and what it meant for <laughs> browser competition, uh, but I stuck with Safari for a while, um, and then I switched to Chrome for a while, and now I'm back on Safari. Mm. Uh, well, and, and then I use Microsoft Edge, which is based on Chromium, and that's neither here nor there. Well, real uh, quick before we move on, uh, do you want to comment on your experience with Safari on iOS? Do you still feel good about that design? <laughs> I do. I I like it, except I don't think it's necessary for the tab bar, or the ad, or the the bar, whatever that bar is. I don't think it's necessary for it to float like it does and to obscure content, which it doesn't if you scroll. But it's 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 finicky. It's it's squirmy. It squirms around under your fingers, and I don't like that. But I like the concept where I can swipe on that area over to the tab previous, and it you know you can swipe right to it, and that's that's really good. I like that about it. I think they just need to make it a standard toolbar at the bottom i also like that it's at the bottom i've gotten completely used to it now i don't i don't have my muscle memory has has adapted and i like that it sticks to the keyboard like i like the general idea of it i just think again as i mentioned earlier about implementation and poor implementation from apple these days about their good ideas i feel like that's what's happening here it's a very poor implementation of a really good idea Mm. i i kind of I'm sitting on the fence because I kind of like the look of it, but I agree it's a little bit clunky and it keeps wiggling around, like you say. Yeah, it's squirmy. Mm-hmm. Can we so, get used to um, it? coming on the heels of that, I want to talk just briefly about Net Newswire, which I've I I used to really, you know, I had hundreds of RSS feeds, and it got to the point where I was spending a couple hours a day over the course of the day going through all my RSS feeds and keeping up with everything and da 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 da. And when Google Reader died and I was getting pretty sick of keeping up with all the RSS, I, I made a few half-hearted attempts, you know, Reader and, and other things, uh, you know, by Sylvie something or other, uh, the, the, the app Reader. Uh, 
R E E D E R, um, which I think you still use, Joe. Yep. Um, but um, I, I eventually sort of just gave up RSS, and I was using things like Google News and, of course, Twitter. A lot of stuff comes through Twitter. As I try to spend less time on Twitter and social media in general just because of what it's doing to human humanity and what I don't like about it, um, I've kind of wanted to get back into the RSS scene a little bit. But the, the lack of – like one of the things that Google Reader brought was this ability to have the same RSS status everywhere, um, whereas, you know – uh, I think Reader had that if you paid for it. I don't remember, but but a lot of RSS apps didn't have that. You, you it didn't mark them. You marked it red here, but it wasn't red over there on your other platform. And so Google Google Reader kind of had all that solved everywhere. And you know, I, I was keeping an eye on Net Newswire as it basically was rebirthed recently and came out as a basically an entirely new app, but. Uh, it didn't have syncing, and so that was just like I can't. I mean, and you, you it did Sync kind of essential. if you if you paid for one of these other services and it would connect to like Feedbin or something like that. And I'd I'd gone down the Feedbin route before, and I wasn't interested in that. But recently, they released Net Newswire on all the platforms that will sync with iCloud, which. Uh, now that I'm on all Apple platforms is great. Uh, and it, it's completely like there's no setup involved. You just say sync with my iCloud account and you're done. And um, that has been working really well for me. I'm subscribing to a very limited amount of RSS feeds, um, just enough so that I can kind of see the, the current tech news that I want to see. And it's been really great. And I really love the design of the app. As far as modern design goes and fitting in with Big Sur and, and iOS, current iOS and stuff, it does that really well, but also managing to still have some personality. I really like it. It is really good. And is it available on all of the Apple ecosystem? It is available on macOS Big Sur, uh, iOS, and iPadOS. So does it still look like this? I'm looking at a screenshot on their website. Does it have like a default blue, light blue sidebar and then a uh, light gray toolbar atop? No, no, it does not. That hmm. is not what it currently looks like. Let me uh, send you a, a screenshot, screenshot of it currently on macOS Big Sur. Um, I'll try to make sure this gets in the show notes. So that's it's 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 a Big Sur app. It looks like it belongs on Big Sur. And on iOS, it's it's also just it fits right in. Um I don't even know that it's worth here, I'll send you a couple of screenshots on yeah, iOS. Okay. Huh. So there is the feeds view. Let me oh, actually I say there it is. I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, it has the yet. modern Big Sur design. Yeah. So here it is on iOS. That's the feeds view. And again, these will be in the show notes for people interested. And then uh here is the list of feeds that I've clicked into. And uh, yeah, so the iOS version resembles the mail.app. app. Sort of, yeah. Actually, I would say the iOS version, it's basically each of the panels that you see in Big Sur. It looks pretty much like that, uh, more or less, uh, except that it's just each each column yeah, at a time, at as a time, you would yeah. expect. And then the um, iPadOS version looks like the iOS version, except you can see all three columns, or just two columns if you desire. Um, it's. I think it's a really well-designed app. It gets out of your way. There's not a lot of – there's a few affordances, but not a lot so that you can focus on you know clicking the article you want and reading it. I think it's really well done. Yep. I want RSS feeds to make a comeback too though. 
It'd be great if people would take it more seriously, be able to get any RSS feed for any source that I really want. It's really hard to track them down sometimes, and there are plenty of sites well, that just don't support okay, them. Okay, so I don't know about Reader, which I think you're using, but with um, as long as the website is set up correctly, and all the websites I've tried to add so far are, where you just basically a website just needs to tell um, it needs to have a snippet of code up in the head of the HTML that says, here's where my RSS feed is. And so if you paste the main URL of a website it into the a add a feed area of NetNewsWire, yeah. it just finds the RSS feed. I want to say it's most common that they, they do work, but it's still, I find a couple of times that I'm able to find that RSS feed because the developers just didn't think about it and didn't make that happen. Mm. Okay. Well, I want to move on to wallets and cases before we yeah, run out of time. Please. Um, and uh, so I have had a bug in my uh, wallet recently. Um, <laughs> you had a hole burning in your pocket wallet? Yeah, case. yeah. So, uh, but I want to talk about cases first because it kind of goes hand in hand when you're talking about phones and wallets and cases. So as you know, when I first got the iPhone 12 mini, I went caseless. And I don't know, it just after a while, it just felt like I was living dangerously, you know. And so I bought with my iPhone 12 mini the Apple Silicon case black as my iPhone is black. And so I put it in the Apple Silicon case. And the Apple Silicon case is actually a very good case. I like it a lot. It's a little thicker and bulkier than I like. And I, when I would take my phone out of that case, I'm like, oh, I love using this phone without a case. I really love it. But I mostly kept it in the case. And and a advantage of the case is any MagSafe accessories that you attach – uh, attach more firmly because mm-hmm. I think the magnet is stronger in the case and closer yes. to the surface. And also there's a more tacky or it's, it's not as slippery. And so like uh, on my car mount, it doesn't tend to slide as much or, or twi- uh, twist as much, which is nice. So right. I like that about the case. But whenever I would take the phone out of that case, I like the feel of using the phone without the case so much more. It's so much slimmer and nicer and feels so much better. So I decided, okay, I'm going to try these Peel cases again. I was very unhappy with Peel on my big Android phones, um, which, as we've talked about before, I would prefer smaller phones. That's why I've got the iPhone 12 mini. But with Android, you really just can't get a good small one. So I had big phones. And I was very unhappy with the Peel cases on the big phones because the problem that I had with every single one of them, I had like three or four over the course of my phones, and the you know the the Peel cases, they have these very thin strips above the buttons because they're surrounding the whole button. Mm-hmm. And the thin strips would tend to like stretch and then bubble up. So you had this like little dent up. And so it was just very, very annoying that way. Uh, but I decided to give Peel another try. Uh, and, and there's a competitor Peel. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's it. called Totally. Totally. That's the one. I tried those two same exact problems. I don't remember having, well, no, I also had those problems on my 6S. But like a sucker, I'm trying peel again because I just I love the feel of them when they're not doing that. It's almost it's pretty much just like using the phone without a case, and I do get a little protection, scratchy, you know, it keeps the there's a lip around the the camera bump so that the lenses would never touch when you put it on the desk, and I like it a lot. Um, and I'm I've got the peel on it right now, and so far no bubbly, you know, notched above the above the buttons. Uh, but it's, it, and I love it. I love the feel of it. It's great. So we'll see how that goes. So that's the case story right now. Yeah. I've had a handful of the peel cases and a couple of the totally cases. And what I found is that they really do give you closer to the naked phone experience. The sleek design also complements an Apple product. It almost feels like Apple ought to make a case like this themselves, but I yep, understand I why way too many of the customers would complain that it wasn't durable enough. 
the what I find is it's really good, feels good, and most of the time I'm not prone to smash my phone. So if some accident does occur, it seems like the case is likely going to be a goner on the first accident. Now, have you found that? Because that's happened to me. Anytime I've dropped it, it like splits something or scratches it in, you know, too much. I uh, have not dropped a phone that was in appeal or totally case. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not had an ac- incident with the totally case. The only incident I've had has been with my previous Android phone, and no case would have saved it unless it was a case that completely yeah. covered the the front because I dropped it on its front and it cracked the glass and went away. <laughs> it's it is yeah. rest, may it rest in peace. Yeah, so I th- I think it's yeah it's a great case, but grant you. I, and I'm, I was okay with this. If you should accidentally drop it on concrete, then expect the case to be a goner. But that, at least at one time, it does save your phone. And mm, so okay. it does work that one time. I'm good with that trade-off. Yeah. Because I, I, like I said, I, I generally don't. <laughs> so, And I've only done it once in 13, 14 years, however long I've had smartphones. Would you be tempted to take it off from time to time? And do you think it's going to be... See, I, one so. thing that I don't like about the peel cases is I feel like they're so thin and a little, you know, like just, and they're very tight. And so I feel like taking them on and off wears them a little mm, bit. Yeah. Like it feels, it feels bad to do that. So I try not to. That said, I'm going to go into my wallet story uh, and I'll tell you why I took it off recently and I've, I have it back on now. But um, so I've, I've had the same wallet probably for 10 years maybe 12 years and it's a fairly big thick trifold wallet and it holds you know my driver's license and four or five different credit cards or whatever other kind of cards and it has a place for cash and it has a place where i you know might put checks or something and it's got hidden compartments and it's got my social security card and all kinds of stuff i never ever 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 need to take out of my wallet or ever use and additionally it's just yet another thing that i have to remember to take when i go somewhere and then i don't like sitting on it in my back pocket and so but i can't put it in my front pockets because it's too big and thick to really be there and feels weird and also i have my phone in one pocket my keys in the other and so then i've got my wallet in my back pocket i don't like to sit on it it's bad for your back and so i take it out when i'm in the car or anything like that bottom line is it's just super annoying to have this big thick wallet so i've uh, had a bug in my wallet as 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 you say Mm -hmm. um to figure something else out and so i finally i've decided to start biting the bullet and i started with what's called i i I looked at apple's magnetic wallet and i didn't like the fact that you could only fit two cards in it that's just not enough for me um so i started with the wally jr magsafe compatible um there's a link in the show notes and uh, I really like some features of this wallet. For instance, there's this little flap that flaps over and over the top of your cards and mag- you know, it magnetizes on the front. You can see from the picture there. And when you pull on that, it pulls your cards up. It's really, really nice. Yeah. And then you can, you can kind of get your cards. I've tried to put four cards in it, which is supposed to be able to do. Like you can, you can slip four cards in it. It doesn't really work. It's, it's a three-card wallet. That gets me by. I've got my Apple card. I've got another credit card that we use for gas that we get really good rewards on. And I've got my driver's license, my ID. And what I'm losing by doing this is the ability to really to carry cash. <laughs> so um, my cash is still in my trifold wallet, which stays up in my dresser. But I, you know, I've gone cashless and I don't use cash often, but there are instances when it's like I kind of need for there to be cash, you know, around. And so I'm a little nervous about going back to not having any cash ever in my, on my person. Me too. 
But um, I like this wallet. The one thing that I don't like about it, Joe, and this is a pretty big deal because I got it because it mag- it would magnet to my phone. Yeah. The magnet is super weak. Ooh. I put it in my pocket, and the wallet is all over. It doesn't stay next Especially to the phone. Especially against that case, the peel case. Right. So the peel case, it, it's not a lot of difference, but it is a little weaker than just the phone. So, I, you know, of course, I took the, the peel case off, and I put it on the phone. I was disappointed it didn't make it much better. Then I put the apple silicon case on and it sticks much better to the apple silicon case it's it's a much stronger hold uh it doesn't tend to twist as much but it's not enough that it makes it better in my pocket it's just enough that it feels more stable when i have it in my hand um so that's really frustrating so that i since it's not since it still doesn't make it stick to the phone very well when it's in my wall, my pocket i put the peel case back on and i'm just using it as a standalone wallet right now which it's actually very nice for yeah. it, i can't even tell that it's in my back pocket and the features where you pull that tab and it pulls the cards up are still very nice it's a fine standalone wallet i enjoy it that said I am I have because I'm apparently in money blowing mood. <laughs> I have ordered the Exter card holder, which is supposed to hold three plus cards, as it says. I I found some reviews on YouTube that said that it has a pretty strong hold. Seems to be stronger than Apple's magnetic wallet. Interesting. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I'm hoping that maybe it'll be it'll stick to my phone and stay there. What I really want, and I know this may be hard because you've got to shield the cards, and maybe if a magnet is too strong, it would even overcome the shielding that's in the wallet. But what with a wallet that's magnetic to your phone, what you really want is for that thing to stick on there. Unless you you have to put, I want you to have to put a lot of oomph to get it off, and that's just that's just not the case with anything so far that I can find. So I'm a little frustrated. I feel like the the magnetic MagSafe ecosystem. I feel like those magnets, everything that I've ever magneted to it, even the charger. I wish they were stronger. I wish they held really, really hard, and they don't. Yeah, when we get back together again, you're going to have to try out my Moft. These, the, it's like a leather wallet uh, slash yeah, stand. Yeah, this is one that I looked mm-hmm. at. I I just didn't like it. I think the, the material it. doesn't look pr- uh, as premium as the ones that you're looking at, but it, you know, it's uh, it's more utilitarian. Uh, it, it looks like it would come apart sooner, but it all, I love that function of the stand. I don't usually keep them together on a regular basis anymore because it is bulky in the pants pocket when it's mm. against the back of the case. And I'm using the Apple leather case of the, uh, for now a while now, the one that matches oh, my Oh, so the reason glue. it's bulky is because you were putting it on top of a big app leather case? Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. So I usually take them apart when I put them in my pockets and then I forget to put it back on the phone because at work I have one of the MagSafe stands now so that the phone is already on the MagSafe stand. I only use this when I'm at home, whether I'm in the kitchen or at the desk or in the bathroom, you know. I have absolutely no need for a stand on my phone, like zero. I couldn't care less. Yeah, it's a super handy feature, but... Only when you need it, and it's not terribly often. That said, if this thing is much, if it has better magnetic capabilities, and it looks like it holds three cards, it does. So I might give it a try if this extra doesn't work out. So and I might spend even yeah. more money. And even though it doesn't look like the build quality is as good, to be honest, uh, it is in great shape. And I've not hmm. been trying to treat it gently. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. all I have to talk about, and my frustrations with watch with with watches with wallets, notwithstanding. Um, you know, yeah. 
Wallets have always been frustrating because they were too bulky. They wear out. They smell. You you put things in there you don't even need to carry. Why you do that? Well, the thing is, and this is where I'm I'm gonna find out. You know, there are things in my trifold wallet still that I've I've basically I've cleared out as much as I can. But even still, there's stuff that I'm like, well, I might want to have know where this is, so I keep it in my trifold wallet on my dresser. Um, you know, my Kroger card, for instance, I currently have no way to scan a Kroger card. I don't go to Kroger that often. Um, but you know, sometimes you buy something and you get like a dollar discount. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, so there are things that I use like once a month that I'm currently not carrying with me. And I, (laughs) I, yeah, the whole situation is frustrating. All right. I think that's the show, Joe. People don't want to hear us complain anymore about these things. (laughs) So, sure. uh, but you know what people might be interested in, Joe, is other podcasts that you do. Yep. So you can find my other show, which is Equinox here at Night Owl. So I do that with Dr. Rob Carter. Check it out. We have plenty of episodes and talk about loads of science subjects. Yeah, nice. I've really enjoyed the, the most two, the two most recent episodes are on terraforming. They talk about terraforming Mars, Venus, uh, Mercury, I believe, yeah. uh, the moon. Um, it's a lot of fun. So go check that out uh, as well as, of course, you make sure you listen to this podcast first and then, then you know, go check out right, that right. If, if, if our podcast doesn't have any current episodes. The show notes for this episode will be at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 35 or, of course, in any good podcast app that is not Apple's, you'll be able to get the show notes, click on the links and all sorts of things. Uh, I'll put the links to everything that we talked about in there. And until next time, in about two weeks, hopefully, we will uh, see you then. Been bitten by any Black Widows lately, Joe? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Um, Hmm. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson, her Mm -hmm. new movie, Marvel, MCU. Mm -hmm. Good times. But tell me, Joe. How can Black Widow have a movie when she's dead? It, it's it's so confusing. It's like they uh, make movies not in linear order or yeah. something. Yeah, you know this movie, this film. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. It was a fine film, and in some ways, it was pretty fun and pretty good. Uh-huh. Uh, I felt like the villain was, you know, a little bit terrifying and <laughs> yeah. uh, very well played. But I feel like this film is a film out of time. Yeah, it, you, you know what it is? It's an origin story, but at the same time, it's not. No, it's not. not. It's not. Mm-hmm. It, it, it should have been made when its time period was set. It should have been made then, and right. it wasn't. It would have had so much more weight to it. And I think I would have loved this movie if it had come out then. But now that we're past the MCU's Phase 4 or, or Phase 3, and we're into Phase 4, I don't remember which phase we're in, but we're past all that, and now we're moving into multiverse directions, and we've got Loki, and we've got WandaVision, and hmm, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's all headed in a different direction. And you go back and you go, oh, but... Back here between, you know, Civil War and um, Infinity War, she went and had this little adventure. And it just falls a little flat. It doesn't quite get there for me. And it feels like it's in a different style of storytelling than what we're doing now. And it does a disservice because they didn't make it when it should have been made. And it it just – it does a little bit of a disservice, I think, to the movie that way. I, I it, It's not a bad movie. When watching – the through the MCU again, if you want to, you know, to go through in order, I think it'll do well. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm gonna put it if when I watch the MCU, I'm gonna watch it with 
the time in the time in, the, in between yeah, the Civil War and and Infinity War. I think that's what I'm going to watch. And I I generally am not a fan. I'm I'm not a fan of chrono- chronological order. I'm generally more of a fan of release order. And and I won't be able to watch. Well, you can because I know what happens. But like you probably, if you're going to watch things in chronological order, you can't watch the credit scene. Um, <laughs> right, <laughs> unless uh, you like really bad spoilers, because if, if yeah. that just takes you right out of the moment, it does. And and on, honestly, there's also some interesting things going on here that it's frustrating because it feels like Scarlett Johansson never really had her moment. It was fine, but now, like now that it's her time to shine, and it was her movie, then we handed off the torch. Yes, to it, clearly this movie was about handing off the Black mm. Widow mantle. When you look at the credit scene, mm. the Black Widow mantle is being handed to her quote sister. Um, that's clearly what's happening. And I thought yeah. I thought that actress did a fantastic job. I really loved her, and she was witty and sarcastic yeah. and fun, and I really enjoyed that. But at the same time, it's like, but 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 but. Scarlett Johansson. (laughs) I wanted her, and I I appreciate how impactful Scarlett Johansson or Black Widow's death was. At the same time, I also felt like that was a little bit short shrift because that was just a warm up for the real emotional impact coming later in the movie with the 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 big death later. So I just feel like they've done Scarlett Johansson a bit dirty. I totally agree. <laughs> you take the words right <laughs> out of me. I think, and that's what so many people are saying about this movie: that is that it's it's fun, but it's and there's no major complaint, like that the story stunk or that a character was really irksome or that they mm. didn't use it to its full potential. The real issue is that it didn't come out when it should have come out, mm-hmm. and then it leaves you feeling like we should have gotten more from Scarlett Johansson from Black Widow and she's gone before she came into her own. Now her sister thing too, I got the impression that as a production company and what they're seeking to do, it feels like they're gearing up for something that is supposed to be an epic battle or saga uh, to the scale of Thanos not Thanos, not a single. Are you talking about with the multiverse stuff or with this in particular? With this in particular, the, the scene after the credits, it, you know how like they uh, scattered many little scenes of Thanos after credits over the many films before Mm -hmm. they really got into him. You know, Thanos was a singular major threat and now he's gone. So what are we going to do now? And I kind of feel like what they're gearing for is maybe a a group of anti-superheroes or dark superheroes that will go up against the Avengers. Avengers versus the Dark Avengers. Yeah, I'll tell you, these scenes with Julia Louis-Dreyfus mm-hmm. really feel a lot like the old Nick Fury scenes at the end of movies. But But it's interesting because what are they doing there? That feels like it's in the Marvel universe, but it feels like where they're headed with these TV shows and with the upcoming yeah. Doctor Strange film is completely outside of that timeline and universe and up here in the multiverse spectrum. Like it feels like 
there's two sort of things going on and one of them matters and one of them doesn't. And it feels like the Julia Louis Dreyfus stuff doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like because because we're way out here dealing with much bigger fish to fry with with loki <laughs> and with with he who re- remains and with the timeline splitting and all this stuff like and even falcon and the winter soldier i feel like it feels like they're disconnected it's like what is happening they that one of them feels important and one of them doesn't and yeah so I'm, I'm getting that the vibes of that too and i almost i almost wonder so chronologically um Black Widow was supposed to be released first, and then COVID happened and didn't get released. And then Falcon and Winter Soldier was supposed to be the first TV show. And I almost wonder if they changed directions and decided, no, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to do the multiverse stuff. And so let's do WandaVision and uh, Loki, which feel completely different, headed in a different direction. And because they're released out of order, and in, in addition to not being released when it should have been released, then it was released out of order. Because these things are out of order, I almost wonder if that's making them feel very strange. Not, yeah. not to, not yeah. that's not a pun. That's not yeah. a pun. Like Although you, it should have been. Like the way we, it <laughs> seems that WandaVision happened before the Winter Soldier, and then that happened before the Loki story, and then now the Black Widow film just comes along, and it's like, wait, what? Where is this from? Yeah, no, it's 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 out of it's out of place and out of time twice, and yeah. it just makes everything feel worse, and it makes the Marvel universe feel weird and disconnected. And I think maybe we would still feel that disconnection because they've headed in a different direction with this multiverse stuff, but it wouldn't be as bad because those would have been released already and in the past, and now we're headed in this WandaVision Loki direction. And yeah. yeah, there's there's just some some weirdness here. I'll tell you. In addition, as much as I enjoyed the film, um. uh, what's her name natasha romanoff black widow as a character never felt like a um supernatural superhero they always and in fact it Mm -hmm. was even mentioned in avengers she and um when she was talking to hawkeye and she was like we're dealing with gods and magic and things we aren't capable of dealing with because they were acknowledging that these are mortal superheroes mixing with the immortal. And let's be honest, you know, Iron Man may technically be a human, but he's an immortal superhero. Like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean immortal as in not killable. I mean on a different playing field, right? right. He's up here. And you, then down here you've got the spies. And, that's, right. and, and Hawkeye's good with, the, with the, uh, the, the sword and with the with the arrow. But, you know, he's essentially on the same level as Natasha Romanoff. Like he said in Age of Ultron, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that feels like what Natasha Romanoff is supposed to be. And this film tries to do some of that. But then also you've got scenes where she should have died instantly. Yes, so many and, times. you know, she hit her head. And she when she felt like early in the movie when she fell down the, and boom, boom, boom and hits her head and her back and lay, ah, yeah, you know, we saw like, Captain America do that. And <laughs> we understood why he survived. But right, then because Natasha he's superpowered. too. And yeah, it's but like, she's wait, not what? super. It's she's like, just that lucky? <laughs> So I feel like this movie went a little too far with some of that stuff, and I realize it's it's a problem that they've created for themselves because the rest of the MCU, you've got all this crazy, super-powered stuff going on. You feel like you have to up the ante every time, and you got it, but but that's not what, what I wanted from this movie was possible. a spy thriller, and we got some of that, but then they had to mix in the super stuff, and that I feel like that also did the movie a disservice. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And one thing that's kind of a disappointment is that if you're going to go back in time for some Natasha's story of the past, I would have loved to see a story that involved S.H.I.E.L.D. in, uh, I don't want to say it's glory days, but the glory days, the closest thing to its glory days when Natasha was there. 
you know, what yeah. was she doing before she was, you know, assigned to babysit Tony Stark or something. Well, so Natasha Romanoff at her best, I, I always go back to the scene in Avengers where the very first scene with her in it where she's, you think she's this, she's in this serious trouble. She's right. a scared girl in a chair and then the phone rings. Yeah. And you know, she just gets up. And uh, rings. She, she, he puts the, I've got this trained on you and you better give her the phone. And you know, so he gives it, it's like, what? I'm in the middle of an interrogation. And the guy looks at her <laughs> and or she says, he was giving me everything. And the guy looks at her and he goes, you were, you know, and it's <laughs> that, that, that is Natasha Romanoff. You know, and you get more scenes like that throughout the rest of the MCU, but that is peak Natasha Romanoff, and that's the sort of thing I wanted from, um, you know, thank you for your cooperation. And again, we did get some of it. Like that, that scene was really good when all of a sudden, you know, you think that the bad guys pulled it over on her, and then she goes, thank you for your cooperation. Now, then of course, it goes, bad and she breaks her nose it's like wait but does that really stop you from the pheromones like i i don't know <laughs> you know so don't think about it too hard but like the the concept was she it wasn't about her power uh, in terms of physicality it was about her power in terms of being a smart spy who can get stuff done so it's a mixed bag i think yeah i i think that with the suspension of disbelief for anything like we buy with Captain America that you get some blue super serum and then you go from being a handicapped, you know, kid to being a jacked get- dude. <laughs> and and we, yes. for whatever reason, that works a little bit better for a lot of the audience. And then you have other unrealistic things like Peter Quill being this, uh, you know, boy with his mother dying of cancer on planet well, Earth and then ends up in space. But, winds but, he up got, with a bunch he, but he got beamed up into the realm of space magic. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. That you can buy that a little more. Yeah. And again, you have a reason with, with Captain America, he's given the super serum. There's ne- never been anything like that with Natasha Romanoff. She had this training and this brainwashing, but there was never right. anything super about right. it. And I guess I just wanted that to that, be consistent. Yeah. This, the, the suspension of disbelief in this story was, it, it, it's almost like she needed to have had some temporary super serum just to survive sure. these things. And yeah, then you would have yeah, understood yeah. why she survived them. Right. You know? Yes. No, it was, it was a little nuts. Um, but that said, I, I did enjoy the film. I really loved, um, Oh, what's our guy from stranger things? Um, ah, uh, Oh man. What, um, uh, strange. I got to look this up. Stranger things actor. Um, it's going to give me not who I want, but maybe he'll come up here. David Arbor. Yeah. So, um, I, I loved him. He was great. It was, he was over the top and silly and, <laughs> you know, just, it was great. It was great. And, and I even loved Rachel. Is it wise or vice? I, I think it might be German or something. I don't know. I don't think you've heard it pronounced both ways, but anyway, uh, I thought she was great and I really loved, um, oh, I'm forgetting the actress's name. This is the only thing I've ever seen her in, uh, black, widow actress like again i think that the the idea is we're hand uh florence Pugh. uh so we're handing the torch over to her as black widow and i do i did like her and i i think that we'll come to like her probably as much as scarlett johansson maybe eventually if she is in the mcu further which i i think that's that's the case that that's gonna happen and and they had really great like family you know pseudo family dynamics like that was a lot of fun so there's there's stuff to like about this movie i did ask you i I thought this was interesting 
I asked you whether you had you would let kids watch it. You're like, no. And I'm like, oh, what's up with Joe? Like, why wouldn't he let his kids watch it? And so, but based on that, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna screen it before I think about letting the yeah. kids watch it. And then I'm like, ooh, ho, oh, oh. And it, it's not it's not like it's sexual. It's not like it's it's just it's gruesome in parts. It's right. it's like you got the the vis- visible breaking of bones and just the st- it's like oh whoa it, for me even i was just like oh ooh <laughs> um so yeah. it for me it was just the gruesomeness of some of those scenes th- that it was just a little i'm like i just, i don't think any of my kids i don't want them watching yeah, that right and now the threat to the threat to innocent people or people that were uh, abused uh, you know the mm-hmm. threat to children and mm-hmm. the brainwashing and the and the along the way of destroying these girls you know that that was that kind of manipulation could really <laughs> strike the fear in a lot of kids, I think. Yeah. Oh, one scene I also thought was, again, this was in keeping with what I wanted from the top, you know, and what I, you know, keeping with that Avengers scene and from what I wanted in a Black Widow movie, you have this scene that's set up to make you think that, um, uh, General Stupid Pants, what's his name? Um, the, the, the uh, William Hurt character, um, that he's, he, he and his men are just about on top of her and they've got, they've got her cornered. They're going to get her and how's she going to get out of this? And she's not even there. Um, and that scene was set up really well. And that is Natasha Romanoff. But then that leads me to the scene with um, – dang it. I need to remember that guy's name. Um, William Hurt Avengers. What is his name in the movie? Um, Ross. Uh, Secretary Ross by the time it comes. But he was initially, initially General Ross in, in, um, in, the, in the Hulk movie. Um, right. So then, then – but then at the end of the movie, he's clearly closing in on her. She's standing there, and she tells everybody else to go. I'll deal with this. But then, like, but then we know that she's not captured by him. That she's on the run with with some of the other Avengers. Come the come Infinity War. Like, what happened there? It felt like there was something. Something got yeah. cut from this movie. I yeah. don't understand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I I thought so too. It probably happened too. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like something was cut because, like, how did she get away from Ross this time? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess we just assume that she is just good enough to get away from him. I don't know, but it just felt a little disconnected because we know that he, she was not captured, but yet apparently she talked to them. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Something's weird going on there. It, it is odd, and it almost feels like they could even go back to that if they wanted in some other fashion for another story. But why they would leave it hanging like this in this story, I don't know why. Yeah, it was very odd. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I, like I said, I will watch it again when I rewatch, and I've been thinking about doing a Marvel rewatch because, as you do, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I, I will certainly put this movie in its chronological order. I think. Um, I feel like coming off of Civil War, it'll feel much better because it feels like that's where it belongs. And except for that credit scene, there's nothing about it that feels like you need information from the from movies that follow. And it, if you were thinking, how does this connect to the other Disney Plus Marvel t- shows? Like we were saying, it really has nothing to do with them. So, except yeah. for that scene at the end of the credits, right? Well, it was supposed to be the first thing released post Endgame, and it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's also it's out of time twice. Yeah. 